0: Take your Bibles and turn back to First Chronicles 17. As we go through this morning, we will eventually get there. Okay, I just want you to get there now because, you know, First you Chronicles and that's kind of confusing as to where that's at because that's not normally a passage you turn to often and to and find 17. So if you get there, we will eventually get there and you'll find out why specifically this passage has been chosen for this morning. John Newton was born in 1725. He was born to a sea captain. His dad's name was John also, and he had a wife by the name of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a Christian, loved the Lord, wanted to see this for her son. Involved in a lot of things, in fact, uh, as a young boy, uh, John Newton had the opportunity to know Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, uh, whom we're familiar with many of the songs that he wrote, such as uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and Joy to the World, songs like that. Uh, He had been a guest in their home. His dad was at sea quite often, and uh, he would uh, be away for months on end, and so really the only person that he knew that was a parent was his mother. Sadly, in 1732, when he was just seven years old, his mother died of tuberculosis. So there were some options for him, and the options for this boy who was extremely intelligent uh, was just simply this, that he ended up going to sea with his father. At age 11, he went to sea, made six voyages before his dad retired. So he got to sail with his father. But uh, he was not really made for this. And, and one author has put it this way, that uh, these uh, years between the age of 11 and then to the age of 25 uh, uh, was an age where it was a, uh, he showed a decline into rebellion and degradation. Being a sailor, being around rough individuals, uh, shaped his character. eventually ended up being on a man-of-war, the HMS. Harwich. He was there. The conditions there were so intolerable after the six voyages with his father that uh, he uh, tried to desert. And what that meant is that you were recaptured, uh, you were publicly flogged, and uh, that you were demoted he went from being a midshipman to a common sailor so in the midst of all of that he finally requested if he could just work on a slave ship rather than working on the HMS Harwich which says something about serving in the British Navy how harsh it was but he would rather work on a slave ship and so he was on a slave ship in many uh, different voyages on one occasion it took him by the coast of Sierra Leone where he became the servant or a slave of a slave trader, actually an African individual that was there, uh, and was brutally abused during that time. He was finally rescued uh, by a sea captain that had went by and knew who John Newton was because he knew who John Newton's dad was, and, and just because he had some affection for John Newton's dad, uh, he decided that he would take John Newton onto his crew as a slave ship. John Newton's own statement of this time frame of his life was this I was exceedingly vile indeed. Little, if anything, short of the animated descriptions of an already irrecoverable state. Basically, saying, I look like a person that had no hope. Of which we see in 2 Peter 2.14, this statement, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. I not only sinned with a high hand myself, but made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. Newton on another uh, occasion talked about the fact that uh, he would make up curses against God and make up curses that sailors didn't even use, which is kind of hard uh, to imagine that he could come up with something like that. John Newton eventually became a captain of a slave ship himself. What kind of a captain was he? Not a very good one. Because uh, it was uh, reported that one time he fell overboard and the the crew refused to drop a boat to pick him up. They did toss a harpoon at him, which I'm guessing was not because they were trying to kill him, but I don't think they would have thought it was an accident if that had happened, but that's because they could throw it a long distance. And that's what they used to haul John Newton aboard. God intervened in John Newton's life, probably due to the prayers of his mother, even though she had passed, but she had prayed for her son, fervently that he would come to know christ and on one occasion there was a gale that was so severe that all the livestock that was on board that slave ship were were washed overboard and the crew actually tie, tied themselves to the deck to keep themselves from being swept overboard as newton was attempting to steer the ship through the violent storm he experienced what he referred to later as his great deliverance he recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship would surely sink he exclaimed lord have mercy upon me the cry of that publican that you find in scripture that realized he had nothing that's what he cried Later in his cabin, Newton reflected on what he had said and began to believe that God had addressed him through the storm and that grace had begun to work for him. For the rest of his life, he observed the anniversary of May the 10th, 1748 as the day of his conversion. He called it a day of humiliation. The day where he finally recognized what he truly was in which he subjugated his will to a higher power. You might think of the song that he eventually wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. He continued to be a captain of a slave ship until he got to the point where he didn't really think that that was a good trade to be in, and so he came back to England and for a few years kind of wandered from job to job didn't have really a whole lot of skills that most people would want uh, eventually having or having been a slave captain but he came in contact with some individuals that had great impact on him individuals by the name of George Whitfield John Wesley these men soon became his friends and what he began to pursue was that he realized maybe I should be in the ministry that God has rescued me and saved me for me to proclaim the grace of God to others but his problem was is that he was not uh, one who had gotten an education because if you wanted to work in the church of England you had to have some sort of college education in order to be a preacher and so there was no place that would uh, take him and so for about six years he tried to get a pastorate somewhere eventually uh, someone uh, in the region of Dartmouth a bishop that was there had a church that was in a kind of backwoods uh, area there in uh, London or excuse me in England and put him there in a place called Olney only was a town of about 2,000 people, which made it a small town in England, and it really didn't produce anything. It was only known for uh, the lace-making industry that was there. People would sit down and just simply stitch this lace together, and that's what they would do with their time. That was their industry. Newton wrote of the town, the people are mostly poor, the country low and dirty. Only was described by a contemporary of Newton this way, that the half-starred and ragged of the Earth lived there. When he got to the church there, there weren't too many people going there, but in Newton's unusual style of preaching, using testimony in the scripture, uh, that individuals started to come to this church. They were saved. The church went from nothing to about 600 individuals uh, attending the church in uh, this uh, same time he had a a relationship with an individual that a friendship that he uh, unexpectedly had with an individual that was literally just over his fence man by the name of william cooper you would see him in your hymnal uh spelled c-o-w-p-e-r now i will go through and give you some pictures at this point because i've been racing through names there's a picture of john newton Uh, a little later in life and William Cooper William Cooper was a man who had trained to be a lawyer but uh, as you look at his life he struggled with his we might say this with his sanity spent many years in asylums even as a young man uh, trying to get settled but it came through the reading of scripture that he finally came to know Christ as his savior it changed his life but he was still not a a completely secure person in who he was but here he was uh, in this town of olney and his next door neighbor in the vicarage next door was a man by the name of john newton they struck up a friendship there in their garden uh, as the garden that they had was uh, was no really not fenced but uh was in between and they would sit in the benches there and they'd have discussions about the gospel and the like they both found out that they liked to write verses, poetry. And one of the things that they began to see as they looked around the community is that they had a congregation of people, as they said, were illiterate, they weren't going to read, but as you walked through and people were working either on their steps or in their houses doing the, the lace making that they were there, that they would go through and they would hear people recite silly poems Just goofy and outlandish poems. You know, things like this. Uh, Cinderella, Cinderella went upstairs to kiss a fellow, made a mistake, and kissed a snake. How many doctors did it take? I mean, you could go on. I mean, that was kind of the poetry that they knew and were familiar with. And and what Newton and uh, Cooper decided was this, is they were there in this church at only is that they were, with some of their services, going to write poetry... For these people that were illiterate to be able to memorize, so they could remember the doctrines that had been preached during the service, that they, by song or verse, could remember what had gone on in uh, the service. And as they would sit around in their doorsteps and the like, they wouldn't be singing these ditties, they'd actually be singing songs that would glorify God, or quoting poetry, that would declare the doctrines and teachings of Scripture. And so what eventually happened is that they wrote uh, a number of poems. Eventually in 1779 uh, there was a book known as the only hymn book that was produced filled with songs written by John Newton and William Cooper uh, that eventually found its way into a a hymnody by the, well, the hundreds of songs that came out of this. You find them in hymns uh, everywhere today. You say, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about here? Well, it has something to do with what happened on January 1st of 1773. Now, you do the math. That's 250 years ago today. In that service, John Newton got up and preached from this passage, First Chronicles 17 verses 16 and 17 he entitled the sermon faith's review and expectation and we actually uh, not myself but we do uh, have in a museum the sermon notes of that friday morning prayer service that john newton had He preached this passage, and he preached uh, from verses 16 and 17, and it's this passage right here in the middle of David finding out that he's going to have a line that goes on forever. And David just sits down before the Lord and says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house, that thou hast brought me hitherto? And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come and has regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. He looks at the life of David and he's uh, looking at this passage and he's understanding the fact that David was looking at his past Where God had declared the fact that he had been one who went after sheep and that he wasn't a very famous person and that God had taken him from there to lead his people. And David just kind of shaking his head and going, Lord, I can't believe that you've done that. But to give me something yet future from this, this is incredible. This is why he called the sermon Faith's Review and Expectation. His faith. He was reviewing what had happened in the past, and then he was looking forward to what happened in the future. And as he preached through the, this message, he went through and he just simply did this. And I, I'll give you the, the points of his sermon from First Chronicles 17. He first of all talked about the frame of mind of David as he goes and, and hears this promise of God about his family. That there is first of all a frame of mind that there is this humility and admiration that takes place he asked the question who am i this question should always be upon our mind is what newton wrote who am i you know that is our problem we oftentimes think that we're more important than we truly are and if we really did take account of who we are and what our past has been like we would be humbled said this thou shalt remember look to the pit from which thou were taken lord what is man newton wrote well what is man like and he wrote this in his uh, sermon notes that mankind is miserable shut up under the law there is no way for a person to gain their salvation in fact every time they go to the law they're reminded of the fact that they're breaking the law over and over and over again That mankind is second of all, rebellious. They're blinded by the God of this world and Newton could look back on his life and see how he was blinded for years. That his rebellion was okay. That his defiance of God was something that was perfectly okay. And it was because his mind was blinded. But then he also said this about what uh, he used to be. It was against the Lord whom we sinned, and he showed us mercy that he did not need to show to us. He looked at this and said there was nothing that he deserved of this, that he was a worthless creature, and it caused him great admiration of God, or we might say praise and thankfulness to God, that God had called a worthless creature like this. And, and, and that was his first point, this frame of mind, this humility of recognizing what he's been like in his rebellion against God and an admiration of what God had done to at least save him. But the second part of his message was this, as he said this, that thou hast brought me hitherto. Okay, you've brought me to this point, as we might say in our modern English And he said this we're in point number one under this was this before his conversion his providential care preserving us from uh, a thousand seen millennia millions of unseen dangers when we knew him not he simply looks back and goes there are millions of things that we won't even know about that god protected us from unseen to us seen by him but unseen by us that god protected us from he described it this way in his notes his secret guidance leading us by a way we knew not till his time of love came he's just simply saying this and all that i did and my recklessness that god protected me through all of this so that i could come to that point where i eventually was saved and he's brought me th- hitherto and he said before conversion and then he said at conversion so this the means by which he wrought upon us supports in time of conviction and the never to be forgotten hour when he enabled us to hope in his mercy for newton that would have been the fact of that may the 10th gale storm that he was going through where he said lord have mercy upon me that he finally was not stubbornly set against god but he just simply said god i need your help that point in his life of conversion that he remembered that day that god enabled him to be saved and then he said this that thou hast brought me hitherto he said my before my conversion at conversion and since we were first enabled to give up our names to him mercy and goodness have followed us sounds like what he's uh, thinking there is the end of psalm 23 where surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life there's no escaping this he made this statement many have fallen when we've been preserved and if afflicted we have found him a present help in our trouble his third point was simply this are these things small Are these small things that God has done throughout these years? And the answer to that question is yes. You know, what do you mean? The saving of an individual, uh, that's a big thing. Well, he just simply says, no, it's a small thing. Yes, compared to what follows. Say, what follows? He has spoken for a great while to come, even to eternity present. Mercies are but earnests or down payments of His love. Present comforts, but foretaste of the joy to which we are hastening. Oh, that crown, that kingdom, that eternal weight of glory, we are traveling home to God. We shall soon see Jesus and never complain of sin, sorrow, temptation, or desertion anymore. That's why he says, Are these things in the past small things? Yeah, because you look forward to what we've got coming forward, and it's huge. It's incredible to think about. And so what he does is this, is that in his application, he simply says, so if we understand all of this, what ought we to do? We've seen what God's done in the past, what he's got to look forward in the future. It's just simply this, from henceforth, and here's what his note said, that we're to have love, gratitude, and obedience. And you say, what, what is the passage there? Well, Romans 12 and verse 1. That passage talking about offering an individual as a li- themselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is the reasonable service. The only thing a person can do that has received salvation is just to respond in love, gratitude, and obedience. He said, "The second point is this: trust and confidence." we have good reason to cast our cares upon him and to be satisfied with his appointments hitherto has he done all things well he's done things well to this point so i can trust him for the future so if we think bad times are possibly coming and you just look back and you go he's taken me through bad times before there's a trust and confidence that ought to be a part of believers His third point was just simply this we ought to have patience And this is application you say what do you mean patience because we're not home yet yet a little while and we shall be home we're not there yet so have a little patience and then he said this we are spared thus far but some i fear are strangers to the promises you are entered upon a new year it may be your last You are at present barren trees in the vineyard. Oh, fear lest the sentence should go forth. Cut it down. That's what we have at the end of his notes. He was talking to individuals who knew Christ, but he just said there could be individuals in the congregation that had not come to understand God's promises personally. They had not accepted Christ as their Savior. And he said, This is a horrible thing because you may come to this new year and find out that it's your last and you'll be without hope. Don't know quite the effects of that sermon. Sadly, if you read the accounts uh, on January 2nd, a day after this, his friend William Cooper went insane again. Newton had to rush over to the house and and try and and get him settled and the the like. But for 14 months, uh, William Cooper was never the same. And some have questioned perhaps, maybe uh, this message was designed in some ways to encourage William Cooper. That may have been on Newton's mind that he felt like something was going on there. But whatever the case may be, William Cooper was never the same for the rest of his life. Though he still knew Christ as his Savior, uh, he was not the same. But as far as the the impact of that message, we don't know. But we do have something that has had lasting impact from that message. It is uh, what we would be more familiar with, not as it used to be known in hymn books as faith's review and expectation uh, in line with the sermon we would simply know it as this. The piece of poetry that was written along with this for people to remember this sermon in his congregation afterwards was the song that we're familiar with Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. I mean, this is a song that had six verses in it okay uh, we're familiar with them Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour i first believed think about that day on may the 10th where john newton finally found relief a man who had fought against god uh, everything about him and that first hour that he believed and the relief that was there it wasn't something that he had gained himself it was something that god gave him that hour he first believed through many dangers toils and snares i have already come tis grace has brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home you kind of go okay that's what he's talking about in the sermon the grace has brought me this far and it's going to eventually get me to where i need to go home identifying that this world is not his home where we sometimes don't realize is that their next three verses are verses that we rarely ever sing and you rarely find them in our hymnal i wish they were there this one the lord has promised good to me his word my hope secure hers he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures you think about this statement in verse number four it's david he's writing this in the connection to first chronicles 17 where david's going the lord's promised good to me that my family line will go on forever and it's god's word god's declaration that secures his hope he's heard what god says and as you should read through this passage in first chronicles 17 david solomon this well he's writing what david wrote eventually in the psalms he my shield and portion be my inheritance will be And so he wrote that verse in connection to himself that God's grace had been wonderful to him. And then this, you have this verse, verse 5. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And that's how he was ending his sermon. He goes, Eventually, I'm going to die this mortal life shall cease, but I have something beyond the veil, the thing I can't see right now because it's behind a veil. We see through a glass darkly, as 2 Corinthians tells us. I can't see it, but one day I'm going to have an eternal life of peace and joy. And he closed with this uh, statement this earth shall soon dissolve like snow and sun forbear to shine but god who called me here below will be forever mine he understood the fact that god had saved him and that really the most important thing in his life was that he had god as his inheritance if you had nothing other than God, you have everything that you need. And he delighted in that. This song did not become an immediate hit. It was published in 1779, six years after uh, this occasion, in the only hymns. In 1780, by this point, Newton had left uh, only to go to London for the next uh, 26 years where he preached there in fact he had people that he influenced one by the name of William Wilberforce who was an individual who became prime minister of England that ended the slave trade across the British Empire but he was impacted by John Newton his preaching and personal statement just before he died at age 82 Newton made this statement my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior when he died he left instructions for his grave marker and his grave marker hard to read there but just simply says this John Newton clerk once an infantile and a libertine a servant of slaves in Africa was by the rich mercy of our lord and savior jesus christ preserved restored pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy now you look at that what's in the largest letters there lord and savior jesus christ and that start uh, statement to himself there at the beginning to identify who he is but that statement in the middle he it was all because of the grace found in jesus christ now newton did not call this song amazing grace he called it uh faith's review and expectation it wasn't until 50 years later that it came to the states that uh, it became a song that was familiar, and it wasn't sung to the tune that we were familiar with until f- fifty years afterwards. So it wasn't that they started singing the song to the tune that we're so so familiar with. It was finally in the United States joined to the tune that we know. But there's probably the question in your mind: Where's that verse that we always sing at the end, when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun? That's not a verse written by John Newton you go where did it come from well uh it came from uh, in 1852 a story written by harriet beecher stowe known as uncle tom's cabin read by thousands in the united states before the civil war and in the midst of this you had slaves that were singing this song amazing grace and they added this verse at the end in the book and the claim was is that slaves had been singing this for multitudes of years before this and so that's where we get that fourth verse from and it doesn't go out of line when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun it doesn't completely go out of line of what John Newton was expecting to do and say in his message but it's on this day 250 years ago on a Friday morning prayer service that this song first appeared and it's had impact it's been used by many but uh for those that know jesus christ as savior it's been it's been in some cases hijacked by people who don't understand the amazing grace that jesus christ provides but for believers this ought to be a song that we can sing and rejoice in and sing all the verses and go the lord has been good to me in the past He's going to take care of me in the presence, and one day when this mortal life gives up uh, its life here, that I have God as my portion and my inheritance forevermore. And so what I want to do is we'll we'll get our piano player to uh, come this way, and we're going to go ahead and stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing all six verses of this, and we'll go back, and you don't need your hymnal for this. Uh, We're going to sing it as the way it was originally designed to be sung all six verses and uh we're going to sing through this and uh as they did well perhaps recite the first time 250 years ago uh this song amazing grace how sweet the sound passage of scripture reminding us of our past and present and to be reminded by the testimony of John Newton, a man who knew his past and was amazed at the grace of God that it would be extended to a sinner like him, but even the amazing grace of uh, having present security in this life, but a hope of having your presence forever and having you as an inheritance. Lord, may you be with us as believers that uh, we would have this reminder that yes we are great sinners but we have a great savior and so lord today that uh, we may be encouraged by this uh, testimony and song and as we start off this new year 250 years after uh, this song was written your nature and character are still the same your promises don't change and we can take confidence in what is declared in your word and statements like this that declare your word and the promises there so we love you lord we thank you for this reminder as we start off the year of 2023 and this we praise you for in christ's name amen